chapter, starting at 13, verse 17, reading all the way through to the end of chapter 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leading Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. 
Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day... The Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Testers, does this work? Yes. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll help us to understand how this story from so long ago applies to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Last week, we saw how God had instructed the Israelites to celebrate the Passover and mark the top and sides of their door frames with blood, and their firstborn was saved. But that's not the only step in this rescue story. So last week, we left them in Egypt, and there's a bit we didn't read that we sort of see that they leave Egypt, but God's still got another rescue to perform. So chapter 12, 31 to 13, 16 explains how they escaped and how God instructed them to remember what he'd done by celebrating the Passover festival each year. And we're picking up the story at chapter 13, verse 17, which is entitled in your Bibles, Crossing the Sea. People like escape stories. And so do filmmakers. The hopelessness of confinement, coupled with the constant tension surrounding the escape, entertain us. Whether it's escape from a war camp, a prison, a dungeon, a kidnapper, or another a tormentor. 
and the suspense is intensified by the desire for freedom that we all have within us. Viewers are fully committed to the escapees as they visually and emotionally share the confinement experience. And a quick Google search shows that The Great Escape, which is based on the true story about several hundred prisoners attempting to escape from German Stalag prison, tops most of the lists of greatest escape stories. Apparently, it's not an accurate description of what took place, nor does it have a happy ending, but it's a popular story, and I expect most of you could whistle the theme tune, I Can't Whistle. Children like escape stories too. So there's Chicken Run, Rocky the Rooster, helping chickens to escape from a chicken farm that's run like a concentration camp. And teenagers must like them because most of the 18th birthday parties that Anna went to last year involved her and her group of friends in the Lancaster escape rooms solving clues to escape. But in the passage we've got before us this evening, the focus isn't on the heroic action of the escapees, but on God who planned it to happen and made it happen. So we're going to look at the passage in three sections. God knows best, God keeps his promises, and God delivers his people. So God knows best. Right, firstly, sorry that's a rubbish picture, but the passage started well, in verse 19, telling us that Moses took the bones of Joseph with them. Back in Genesis 50, verse 24, which was actually the reading we started this sermon series on that Steve spoke about, as Joseph was about to die, he said, I'm about to die, but surely... God will come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And 430 years after the Israelites have arrived in Egypt, Moses knows this promise. And finally, God is coming to the aid of the Israelites, just as Joseph had known he would. So they do, as Joseph had asked. Probably not the greatest thing for them to have to be encumbered with as they're trekking through the desert, but they're honouring what had been asked. So let's look at what happened when they set off. Now, I don't have a great sense of direction, and I rely on my sat-nav to get me around the county. And sometimes that has results that seem strange, but are actually the best for me. I finally worked out that when in the morning it sends me over the river to Penwitham and the motorway, when I know I want to go on the A59 to Worley, it's not sending me to Blackburn on the motorway. It is actually looking at the traffic and suggesting that going around the motorway to the Tickle Trout is faster than driving through the middle of Preston. But I've spent probably three years ignoring it and driving through the middle of Preston, because I think I know best. So, chapter 13, verse 17, tells us that God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. So if you look at this map, I know it's hardish to read, but the yellow arrow is Egypt, so that's where they are. The green one 
is Canaan, which is where they're heading. And if they'd taken the road around the coast, it would apparently have taken them a couple of weeks to get there. Not too long. No seas to cross. <coughs> but God knew what was best for them. They've just been slaves, not soldiers. They've got no experience of fighting. If they'd gone the quick route, they'd have met the Philistine army as soon as they set off, which would have certainly demoralised them and probably destroyed them. So instead, God takes them on another route, south, looking like the opposite direction to the one they really want to go. And following God's route, verse 20 tells us, they went to Ethan, that's marked with a green star. And actually from there, you could just go north a bit and then you wouldn't have to cross the sea either. But in chapter 14, verse 2, God turns them in completely the opposite direction and sent them, sends them south to camp at Pihiroth, which seems madness, and that's marked by the pink arrow. So they're moving down the peninsula, and as the Egyptians follow them, they're becoming trapped. There's a sea either side of them, the Egyptians coming from the north, they're hemmed in on every side, and it seems like there's no way out. And verses 5 to 9 say, not only do the Egyptians follow them, but Pharaoh follows with his best chariots and soldiers. So they wouldn't have had a chance with such an army. It must have felt to them like a complete catastrophe, like there was no way they could ever escape. But that's what happens to us. We want God to make everything straightforward. I'm sure I'm not alone in looking at my life and asking, why God? Why are we doing it this way? Why couldn't things be easier or more straightforward? But we know we have to trust that God sees a bigger picture than we do. He sees the traffic on the road ahead. He sends us on the route that we can follow. And he does know best, even when we really haven't a clue what's happening. But often, if we look back over incidents in our lives that made no sense at all at the time, things have fallen into place. And we can truly say that God did know best. But it's still hard to face today's challenges and acknowledge that, despite the confusion, God knows best. And instead of looking around us at the problems we see, we need to look up to God. So, knowing God looks, knows best, we also know that God keeps his promises. We hear people making promises all the time, but do they keep them? Politicians make promises, but we're experienced enough to know they won't all be kept. All too easily, promises are forgotten about or broken. But God's different. His promises can be trusted. The Israelites have seen miracle after miracle. They've made it out of Egypt. They know God's on their side because they've just had this Passover experience, seen their homes protected from the death of the firstborn sons by the blood of the lambs. And 
verse 31 of chapter 13 tells us they have God's presence in front of them, that they have the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. But now they see the Egyptians drawing near and verse 10 tells us they're terrified and cried out to the Lord. God responds to them saying, do not be afraid, stand firm. They've come up with loads of logical reasons why they'll be defeated by this powerful army. But Moses doesn't argue with them about how powerful or not the Egyptians are. He doesn't tell them, it's all right, you can withstand this attack. Because they all knew that they were no match for the Egyptians. But instead, Moses shifts the focus away from the differences between the two groups, but back to God. And tells them that God is on their side. Moses tells them, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. They can count on God to deliver them. They don't have to pick up a weapon. They can just let God fight. He turns a focus back to God and his powerful and faithfulness can we do that do we trust God's promises how easy is it us to be still to let go and let God I know I'm impatient I'm always trying to find ways of making things that need to happen happen but here God says to them you need only be still. Do we hear God when he says, be still to us? When he tells us to leave things to him? When he tells us he's in control and we just need to wait? And how are we as a church at being still? And then the God who keeps his promises delivers his people. So back to the map. So the Israelites are now trapped down in the peninsula. They're sitting ducks for the approaching Egyptians. And then God tells Moses to get them to move on into the water, saying that they will cross on dry land and the Egyptians will drown. Now, there are theories about how the land became dry. It's been suggested they didn't cross the sea at all, that Red Sea is a mistranslation of Reed Sea, and that they crossed an area of shallow marsh that dried up at certain times of the year. Maybe it was something like Morecambe Bay. We know how quickly that can change from dry land to deep water. It doesn't matter. Because whatever happened, God made it happen. However he did it, he made it happen at the right time. They crossed on dry land and the water that then flowed back was deep enough to cover the Egyptian chariots and horses. And verses 19 and 20 tell us that the pillar of cloud that had been in front of the Israelites, showing them the way, moved behind them separating them and protecting them from the Egyptians. 
But more than that, the side of the cloud or pillar nearest the Israelites is light. And on the side of the Egyptians, it's dark. And God will lighten our path and show us where to go. But those who don't follow him won't see his light. They'll remain in darkness until they find him for themselves. So however God did it, God, who created the waters and the wind and separated the land from the water, showed his power to the Israelites and Egyptians by controlling the wind, the water and the land, by controlling nature. Verse 28 tells us that of the entire Egyptian army, not one of them survived, but the Israelites were saved. God sent the wind at just the right moment. He was controlling natural forces at just the right time. If we wait for God's timing, he makes things happen. But then we have to play our part. If the Israelites hadn't obeyed the instructions that God had given to Moses and set out to cross the sea, however daft that might have seemed, they would have been stuck on that peninsula. Did they all rush ahead or were they a bit hesitant? Did everybody wait for the first brave soul to test out the road and make sure it was safe? The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says the Israelites went into the sea. But I suspect even being chased by the Egyptians, they're probably equally hesitant to walk out onto the sea floor surrounded by a wall of water because crowds of people together, often people are a bit nervous to be the one to make the first move. But once the first person took a leap of faith and started walking and everyone could see it's safe, the rest followed and together they made it through the sea to safety. So how about you? How about me? Are we willing to make the move as God prods us? Or do we need to let others check things out first and hang back? When God says move, we need to act. For each of us, there was a moment when we stepped out in faith to accept Christ for ourselves. But do we continue to walk with our ears tuned to God's message and direction? So back to my sat-nav. I can choose to follow it or I can decide I know better and ignore it and make up my own route. Sometimes Dave and I travel with two sat-navs and, and get different suggestions for the way we should go. Sometimes even I do it with Google Maps on my sat-nav. But are we the same with God? Do we listen to God with one ear and perhaps have our other ear tuned to directions that might not be coming from God. We need to give God our whole attention and trust. The Israelites have set off on their journey to the promised land and they've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. But now they've got to pass through water. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 describes this as a baptism that they were baptised into Moses. So this is probably the biggest baptism ever with 
hundreds of thousands of people being baptised. But it marks a final break with their own lives. Their last contact with Egypt and Pharaoh. But if they're already rescued, why do they need this baptism? They've already had Passover. The blood on the doorpost has saved them and the angel of death passed over. But thinking about it, the blood of Jesus is sufficient to bring all people to himself. But we have to choose to follow him. We have to make those steps. We have to respond to his call to believe and be baptised. And the blood of the lambs on the doorposts had saved them. But now they've got to act for themselves. They've got to choose to obey God. They've got to walk through the water to a new life. So for us, will we trust that God knows best, even when we don't see why he's taking us the route that he is? If God asks us to stay still, can we stay still and trust him to keep his promises? And when God asks us to act, are we willing to step forward to be part of his plans? To end, I'm going to read a poem which will be familiar to you all. But I want us just to take time to reflect on the words as we ask God to show us how we can trust him as he guides us. And I'm going to cough and drink water first. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed, two, flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Father God, we pray that we will take your words into, into the week ahead, that we will trust your promises, that we will hear clearly from you, and we will follow any paths that you set us on. In Jesus' name, amen.